with me, if you will, to uh, Isaiah chapter 23. Isaiah chapter 23. As we continue on in our study of the book of Isaiah, we come to the last of this particular section that began in chapter 13, dealing with uh, burdens to certain nations and uh, cities. From chapter 13, we have uh, seen the judgments that have been uh, expressed toward Babylon and uh, toward um, Moab and uh, as well toward Jerusalem, as we saw last time, toward Egypt and Ethiopia. And, and so, uh, we, and, and Syria, by the way, I forgot to mention Syria. But um, now we come to a judgment or a burden against a city called Tyre. And so let's read the first five verses and then pray and get right into our study this evening. Isaiah 23, beginning at verse 1. A burden against Tyre. Wail, you ships of Tarshish, for it is laid waste, so that there is no house, no harbor. In the land of Cyprus it is revealed to them. Be still, you inhabitants of the coastland, you merchants of Sidon, whom those who cross the sea have filled, and on great waters the grain of Shehor, the harvest of the river, is her revenue, and she is a marketplace for the nations. Be ashamed, O Sidon, for the sea has spoken, the strength of the sea, saying, I do not labor nor bring forth children, Neither do I rear young men, nor bring up virgins. When the report reaches Egypt, they also will be in agony at the report of Tyre. To join me in a word of prayer. Our Father and our God, we give you thanks and praise for the privilege of studying your word this evening. We thank you so much, Lord God, for the the wisdom, the instruction, the fruit, the food that is Your Word to our hearts and to our minds. And and Lord, may we be able to keep our focus, our attention upon Your Word this evening while we pray that You would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, Lord, to receive what You desire for us this evening through this passage. And these passages in this chapter. Lord, we thank you that even in these last days we find ourselves so drawn to you and drawn to the knowledge of your coming and, and of your return that as we study prophecy and study through prophetic themes and issues in, in the book of Isaiah, we, we pray that it will encourage our hearts to keep looking up because we know that your redemption draws near. And so we ask for your 
strength and your abilities and, and wisdom and understanding to flow and to come to us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we come now to, to the last of these special burdens or judgments and prophecies that, that relate to the nations and the cities which, which had dealings with Israel. Now remember that we, we also dealt with, with a, a judgment toward the northern kingdom of Israel. But then we also had the judgment toward uh, uh, Jerusalem itself because of the disobedience of God's people to God's Word, uh, because of their lack of trust in the Lord, they would be judged to awaken them, to cause them to look to the Lord once again as their hope, as their strength, as their wisdom. And uh, so these things happen. But also there are certain nations outside of, of uh, the realm of Israel that uh, are being judged for uh, their cruelty toward Israel, toward God's people. And so three of these could actually be seen as very definite types of this present evil world, which Christ died to deliver us from. Scripture tells us that Jesus died to deliver us from this present evil world. Well, there's three of these nations, or two nations in a city that uh, we can look at kind of uh, for just a moment, uh, and, and see how, how they represent types of, of, of this evil world. Egypt being one, Babylon being the other, and Tyre, uh, the city that we're going to look at tonight. Egypt, first of all. Egypt would stand for the world as, as we first knew it in our natural state. Many times when we see Egypt mentioned in Scripture, it's mentioned with those uh, in that particular uh, uh, thought in mind, that Egypt represents the world. It represents us going away from God, going into a land or into a place that is far from where God is in the sense of His guidance, His direction, His care, His concern for us. And we can look at our own lives being outside of the, uh, the love of Christ, outside of, of the wisdom and strength and, and salvation of the Lord. Uh, it is, in fact, where darkness is, where bondage and death uh, is, is really represented. Egypt is that way in the Scriptures in many, in many cases. The pharaohs were seen by the majority of people not only as royalty but as gods. And so, and so they gave them honor that could, be, could, could only be accorded to a divine power or entity. Much like that which is given by the masses to the prince and the god of this world, uh, Satan, though the majority of people don't know that that's what they're doing. And you think it's interesting when, when, when you, look at back, you look back at your own life and, and you realize that when you were away from Christ, when you were not even in Christ, you, know, you, were, serve, you were actually serving the, the enemy. You were serving uh, you know, the, the prince of this world. We didn't know it in those particular terms, but that's really what was taking place. And, and Satan would, would much rather be in that particular uh, role of, of not being known that he is really the one that we are, uh, are, are, are looking toward and serving, even though in our own minds it, it, it doesn't compute until much later when we realize that anything that isn't of God and anything that we don't do for God is always going to be done for the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
Praise the Lord that we, like Israel, were delivered from our Egypts by the blood of the Passover Lamb, by the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of God. And and we were led out of that uh, captivity and wilderness, much like we saw the children of Israel being led out of, of their Egypt. There are 400, over 400 years, 430 years of, of bondage in, in Egypt uh, when Moses was sent to, to draw them out of there. One of the things that happened in that time, of course, and during the, the plagues that came upon Egypt, was that God took light completely out to show the darkness of the land. But the only light that shone was the light that was in the land of Goshen where the Jews were. God shone his light on his people. We now are to be the light of the world, you see. Babylon would stand in essence for the religious world, one based not on God's word or divine revelation, but but upon the vain imaginations of men which are never subject to the will of God. I find it extremely sad and and, and, uh, just just tremendously burdensome when we see many churches today looking at, at uh, trying to accomplish a lot of things socially, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. L- listen carefully to what I'm saying. Uh, the church should be at the forefront of doing things socially, doing things to help the poor, doing things to help the needy, doing things to, to, you know, to, 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 to bring some moral sense of, of, of justice uh, in, in the world. The church should be out there, but never should it be out there at the expense of God's Word. It should never be out there at the expense of putting God's word aside and say, well, God, you know, God's word is, you know, it, it condemns too much or it, it, it steps on too many toes. Hey, let's step on toes. That's what wakes us up. Before I came to know Christ, you know, people were stepping on my toes and I got angry enough to want to beat everybody up until I realized that the only one that needed to beat up was me. The Lord did that pretty well. But in a loving way, of course. It made me see where I, how far I was from the God who created me. Yeah, we could be religious, but is that what it's about? Sean prayed earlier, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a matter of relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about, not, not religion. In Romans chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Paul said, For since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they, were, they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. And in the King James it says, vain imaginations. And their foolish hearts were darkened. A lot of people have these vain imaginations. And, you know, it's an interesting thing that it, it, it applies to images. The images that people put before them to worship or to venerate or whatever kind of images that, that have nothing whatsoever to do with a God who said, don't make any images of me, but you worship me in spirit and in truth. And Paul would say that there was a form of godliness that many people have. And even today, even because he's talking about today, 2 Timothy 3, verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying its power, he says, and from such turn away. 
We've talked a lot about the emerging church and the emergent church and, and, and this, this movement that's going on. And they want to come back to, to icons and images and, and, and putting them before people. But folks, the worship of images seems to dominate not only our religious world today, but also the highly secular and sensual mindset of our society, creating a new sort of religion. Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he said that God is a spirit. We who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. Spirit and in the truth of his word. And, and we can't get away from that. We can't get away from God's word. We need to be in God's word. To understand, to know what true relationship is. This brings us to Tyre now, which, which represents the, the world where people, the, through the many physical and material pursuits, seek to enrich themselves in every kind of luxury while forgetting the God who created all things. In Psalm 78, verses 6-8, through 8, it says that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they might, might, might arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Two phrases there, not forgetting the works of God and, and, and setting our hearts right, whose spirit was, was, is, is to be faithful to God. Not forgetting the works. Not forgetting what God has done. Every time we come together in this place, every time we gather for, for worship and for fellowship, every time we come to commune with each other and to commune especially with God, we come to honor Him for the things that He's done. We are never to forget them. Out of every circumstance, out of every trial, out of every situation, God has delivered us. God has rescued us. God has done great and mighty things. We are to give thanks to God for that. Tyre is representing this, this world of physical and material success and pursuit above the God who created them. The reality is we cannot be above the God who created us. What you have to do then is, of course, set Him aside and make yourself God. And how many people are making themselves gods today because of what they have succeeded in, because of what they have accomplished in this life, because of what they have, have, have built up as far as their own treasures here on earth. Tyre represents that. A lot of people may not know a lot about what, what Tyre was about in, in, in its day, but in its heyday, it was one of the chief cities of the world. I suppose you could compare it uh, in some ways to New York City. A crossroads of all kinds of commerce, a crossroads of all kinds of, of, of uh, industry and, and uh, uh, material pursuits, certainly. Tyre was the capital of, of the ancient nation called Phoenicia. This was just north, you see, of, of, uh, of Israel. 
off of the Mediterranean coast. The Phoenicians were, were considered to be among the best, if not the best, sailors in the known world. Actually coming from other regions over into that particular area and conquering that, that small area itself. And ruled actually the waters of the Mediterranean for many years and establishing many colonies along the Great Sea. They were the chief merchants of the world as well. Tyre being the main hub for all the the known world's trade. It was at a very, uh, very important place there in the Mediterranean because of everything coming from the west to go to the east. That was the first. That was the major port. You see. So it was a city of great trade. And Tyre was synonymous with commerce and, and materialism. Now Phoenicia had two main cities, Tyre and Sidon. You know, we, we see those even mentioned during the time of the New Testament, during the time of Jesus. Sidon being the older of the two. It was well known for its skilled craftsmen in glassworks. That's what Sidon was known for for its glassworks and its craftsmanship in glass. As for Tyre, it eventually became the capital of Phoenicia and was famous for its purple dye, which was made from a sea snail. And so you'd have to think that it was pretty uh, rare and very expensive because of the way that they would have to extract this, this dye from this particular sea snail. It was so rare, it was so expensive, that it was used solely to dye cloth for kings. The city of Tyre consisted of two parts. The old city or the inland city, which was located on the mainland and on the coast. And then there was another uh, part of it called the island city, which had been built out on a small rocky island about half a mile off the coast. And as for its relation to Israel, it was a somewhat mixed relationship. Because it was King Hiram of Tyre who supplied David as well as Solomon with great timbers for the building of the temple and other projects. Tyre actually, if you, if you look at a map, will, will kind of be in the area of what, what we know today as Lebanon. And we've often heard, of course, about the cedars of Lebanon being the very costly, very uh, pricey and very uh, beautiful wood. And so... It was this king Hiram of Tyre who, who gave uh, this to David and to Solomon. Now Hiram also, later on in Solomon's reign, gave to Solomon sailors so that Israel could build their commerce by sea. Whenever we read uh, of Solomon sending uh, out for the gold of Ophir and all of that stuff, you know, to bring back uh, stuff from other places, well, that was his, uh, his alliance with, with Hiram, uh, king of Tyre. Gave uh, Israel sailors uh, to have their own navy there. But there was a downside of Tyre's relationship to Israel. And it had to do with their giving to Israel one of the worst rulers that they would ever have by marriage. It was the wife of King Ahab. We know her as Jezebel. So that uh, that was kind of the con of the pros and cons of Tyre and its relation to Israel. With that in mind, in that little background, we go to verse 1. It says, the burden against Tyre. A judgment, you see, against Tyre. Wail, you ships of Tarshish. 
for it is laid waste, so that there is no house, no harbor. From the land of Cyprus it is revealed to them. The prophet Isaiah foresaw the complete destruction of Tyre as a great city whose ships reached every known port in the world of that day. That city would be destroyed. In fact, Isaiah illustrates for us sailors not only from Tyre, but actually from other lands, but sailors from Tyre and in the land of Cyprus, in Egypt, hearing of the destruction of Tyre's harbor. Now that goes for not only the sailors that had gone out away from, from Tyre, who were from Tyre themselves, but even in the ports of Cyprus, and even wherever uh, the port was for Egypt at that time. All the way west to Tarshish, which, which was uh, in the southwest coast of Spain. And, and, all, and this word of destruction had, had reached them. It had spread to Egypt. It spread to Tarshish. It spread uh, to Cyprus. All the major ports that Tyre had something to do with. And, and it tells us here that there, there was this wailing. Uh, you, it says, wail you ships, you ships of Tarshish. Uh, they would be very upset. Why? They were upset because their great trading partner had been ruined. It was as if they were being told to weep and to go home because Tyre was no more. In verse 2 it says, Be still, you inhabitants of the coastland, you merchants of Sidon, whom those who cross the sea have filled, and on great waters the grain of Sheor, the harvest of the river is her revenue, and she is a marketplace for the nations. Be ashamed, O Sidon, for the sea has spoken. The strength of the sea, saying, I do not labor nor bring forth children, Neither do I rear young men nor bring up virgins. When the report reaches Egypt, they also will be in agony at the report of Tyre. Now first of all, we see mentions Sidon, the city uh, that was only about 25 miles north of Tyre. And Sidon was hushed in silence at the news of Tyre's destruction. Now understand this. This this is prophecy. This is shooting out these... these, uh, judgments in, in, to, a, to a near fulfillment at this point. A near fulfillment that what is taking place in, in that particular area of the world is going to uh, receive this, this particular judgment. And so the nations surrounding it, the nations that are tied to it, the nations that are joined to it, the cities that are joined to it are going to also feel the impact, you see, of this destruction. Uh, Sidon is hushed. The very progressive culture that, that produced the characters from which we have our, our own alphabet. You know, that those were the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians were the ones who developed our alphabet that we have today. They had, they had to deal in silence with the destruction of the great metropolis Tyre. Shehor uh, is another name mentioned there in verse 3. And, uh, it, it's, it's another name actually for the, for the Nile River. And it's mentioned as being remembered by the Sidonians as one of those places from which grain was brought by the Tyrrhenian sailors, the true merchants of all the nations. They said, oh, listen, on the great waters, the grain of Sheor, the, the harvest of the river is a revenue, the revenue of Tyre. And she's the marketplace for the nations. Who? Tyre. All of this is starting to fall apart, you see. Sidon would be addressed as representing 
all the Phoenicians. And notice what it says. It says, the sea has spoken. That's a tremendously poetic statement. It's a pretty heavy statement, but quite poetic. The sea has spoken. Talking to Sidon, as if to say that it had never had any children. In other words, as if there was never a tire. These great sailors of uh, Phoenicia, of Tyre especially, is as if they were never born. I do not labor, the sea says, nor, do, nor bring forth children. Neither do I rear young men, no, nor bring up virgins. There never was a tire. It gives us a, a picture of, of, the, of the devastating destruction that would come upon this particular city. Verses 6 and 7, it says, Cross over to Tarshish. Wail, you inhabitants of the coastland. Is this your joyous city whose antiquity is from ancient days, whose feet carry her, carried her off or carried her far off to dwell? Tyre is mentioned here, uh, I'm sorry, Tarshish is mentioned here because it is believed that, that Tarshish itself was, was actually one of those coastal cities that, that was founded by the Phoenicians. So there was that particular link. They went west, they went east from where they had begun. Tyre's great shipping industry was gone and the economy of the Mediterranean had been devastated. The coastland is told to wail. The joyful citizens of Tyre would, would become weeping refugees, especially when Nebuchadnezzar would conquer Phoenicia in 572 B.C. By the way, that uh, is the near fulfillment, you see. The island part of Tyre would not be conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. There were many attempts, but it never was conquered until Alexander the Great would do so in 332 B.C. So we're talking about well, 240 years later. So, this is the kind of devastation that we're seeing about this one city. And to this point, we still wonder why. <laughs> but verse 9 tells us, the Lord of hosts has purposed it. To bring the, to dishonor the pride of all glory, to bring into contempt all the honorable of the earth. There's the reason. First of all, the Lord of hosts has purposed it. It was to bring dishonor, to dishonor the pride of all glory. To bring into contempt all the honorable, the honorable of the earth. These are very well chosen words, carefully chosen words. Because you see, money and pride ruled entire. The glory of that city was its revenue. The glory of that city was what it brought in. The glory of that city was what it did in decking itself out in, its, in all of its glory, in all of its, 
its, its marvel and all of its, its wonder and all of its success. The only thing needed to be considered honorable because it says it is, God is, to, is wanting to bring contempt to all the honorable of the earth. The only thing needed to be considered honorable in this part of the world had nothing to do with goodness. It had nothing to do with honesty. It had nothing to do with character. It had nothing to do with morality. It had nothing to do with all of those characteristics or characters, uh, I should say characteristics, that we would certainly ascribe first and foremost to God to give them to us that we might live in a godly way. The only thing needed here, in this region, in this place, in this city, was success in commerce and industry. That is what God is dealing with here when it says that He has purposed this judgment. And because of its great success, Tyre had become proud It had become full of self-glory. And this is a tremendous warning, not only for unbelievers, it is a warning for believers as well. It is for us to take note of what happens when we begin to put our eyes on the things of this world that that we take some uh, credit for or gain as some kind of accomplishment for ourselves. God so purposed to judge and to humble Tyre. His desire was to defile, to pollute, and to faithfully, or fatally, I should say, wound their pride. That's what it means when it says to bring into dishonor and into contempt. It is to defile, it is to pollute, and it is to fatally wound their pride. You see, people who become wealthy in this manner seldom, if ever, give the glory to God. Now, there are those that do. There are those that realize that whatever they have, and if it is a lot, they give God the glory for it. And how do they respond in having it? They respond by being, you know, freely you have received, freely give. This is what Jesus said. Freely you have received, freely give. That is probably the basis of what, what Paul says when, when, he, when he quotes the Lord Jesus in the book of Acts and, he's, and he says, as the Lord Jesus taught us, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Freely you have received, freely give. But if we were to take some kind of a, a, a statistical poll to see you know, how many actually would just enjoy their riches as being something that they have done and succeeded in and accomplished, I'm sure there would be far many more who who have and and, and give themselves the glory for it than to give God the glory. And see, what's interesting about this is, about this is that, that uh, seldom do they ever give the glory to God because he, because he really is the one who gave them the ability and gave them the, 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 the wisdom to earn such vast sums in the first place. There was somebody that almost got caught up in all of this himself, and he was a child of God. And he was somebody that God raised up as a leader in Israel, Solomon himself. 
When God comes to Solomon at night and, and, and speaks to his heart and says, what is it that you want? You know, hey, if, if, if some of us were asked that question, what would, well, Lord, let me think about it. Well, you know, I have a pretty long list. You know, we could give that list out to God and say, okay, well, this is what I need. This is what I want. Solomon said only one thing, and he didn't wait. You know, he didn't, like, have to think about it. He, just, he said, God, give me wisdom. This is the wonderful thing about Solomon's relationship with the Lord is that that's what he asked for. He doesn't ask for riches, but because he asked for wisdom, God will then in turn give him riches. But was God wrong in doing that? No, God gave him wisdom. He should, he should have used his wisdom as to how he took care of his, his riches. <laughs> we know that he didn't, you know, he got some and he got more and then he got more and he got more and then he got more. And then he wanted more. And then he went and got more. And, and more and more. And he was not only the wisest man in the world, he was also the richest man in the world, but then he was also the, the man most in trouble with women. Because all of a sudden then there were thousands of them. Actually a thousand or so. Some of you guys are saying, man, it's hard to deal with one. We're dealing with a thousand here. What did that lead Solomon to? He led him into a struggle in his life. Troubles galore. His own son could not be true to God. It's quite a price to pay to have riches in this life to overlook the riches of this world. Or to look at the riches of this world and overlook the riches of heaven. Now, the Lord is certainly not thrilled when we live our lives in a way that says that we are more important than others because of what we may have accomplished or because of what we are or what we purport ourselves to be. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, Let nothing be done. Let nothing, nothing, Nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. This, this is the very same pride that was, being, that, that was being destroyed in Tyre. The very same attitude of selfish ambition, the very same attitude of conceit. This isn't the only city, by the way, that, that has to deal with that kind of, of judgment. There, there were many. Babylon, of course. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Why? Because God created you. God made you. God has provided for you. God has given you everything that you need. You know, it's been said that, the, that pride is that basic sin to which God is ever opposed 
and man is ever expressing. God is, a mo- is most opposed to pride and, and, and man is, is for some reason wanting to express it all the time. But the scripture is very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, for example, verses 26 through 29. Paul says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. I just love the economy of God. I love the way God does things. He doesn't do things like anybody else. He certainly doesn't do things the way the world is programmed to do them. God said, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And your ways are not my ways. Notice in verse 28, the base things of the world He's chosen and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That's what's happening here as well. They thought that they were something when they were nothing. Notice verse 29, that no flesh should glory in His presence. Let's not forget that those of Tyre and Sidon The Phoenicians were pagan worshipers. They were heathen worshipers, worshiping gods, worshiping the gods of of, of prosperity, worshiping the gods of of, 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 uh, uh, fertility, worshiping gods that would bring them things, overlooking the God who made them, you see, which they could have known by the witness of Israel to their own God. Galatians 6.14, Paul says, But God forbid that I should boast or glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's what we can glory in. We glory in the cross. We are to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the only boast we have with the cross is that is where our sin was taken. That's a whole lot to boast in, isn't it? The boast isn't us. We didn't hang on that cross. Jesus did. For us. Let's remember, folks, that God is not impressed with our worldliness. And I'm saying that to the church. I'm saying that to believers. God is not impressed with our worldliness. Now, generally speaking, God is just not impressed with worldliness, period. Whatever the world sees as impressive will never impress God. But what impresses God? What impresses God? David said in Psalm 51 verse 17, A contrite spirit, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, these things, O God, thou shalt not despise broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, a humble heart. God doesn't despise that. I went to 
celebration of life of Joe Salcido this last couple of days at Centro Vida. He's a good friend of mine and, and, uh, and home to be with the Lord. But if there's one thing that I can remember about him and, and, and what I saw in his life uh, when I began early on 23 years ago in the ministry, he was already a, you know, a veteran in the ministry. What I saw in his life was that kind of humility before God and before His people. That's what we have to have. It's that kind of humility before God. Well, I'll never finish Isaiah 23 if I don't move on. Let's look at verse 10. The prophecy continues. Overflow through your land like the river. Speaking of the Euphrates River, by the way. Overflow through your land like the river, O daughter of Tarshish. There is no more strength. He stretched out his hand over the sea. He shook the kingdoms. The Lord has given a commandment against Canaan to destroy its strongholds. And he said, you will rejoice no more, O you oppressed virgin daughter of Sidon. Arise, cross over to Cyprus. There also you will have no rest. Very simply in looking at this particular passage, the destruction of Tyre would actually involve to a great extent the loss of prestige and the loss of status of many of the great merchant cities that were in close alliance with Tyre, Tarshish. Areas of Canaan, the uh, island of Cyprus. They owed their prosperity. You see, that, this is something of great importance. They owed their prosperity chiefly to Tyre. And yet it wouldn't matter in which direction they would go. This is why you say, you know, oh, you oppressed virgin, cross over to Cyprus. Whichever way you go, it doesn't matter. You'll have no rest. Why? It wouldn't matter in which direction they would go because there wouldn't be any rest because of the judgment. The judgment was going to not only affect Tyre, it was going to affect every alliance that Tyre had because once they're destroyed, there's no major hub for their commerce any longer. At least not a good one. This was the best. As Tyre succeeded, so did all of its alliances. This is the kind of judgment that God brings. This is what happens when we overstep our bounds and go in the directions that not only affect our lives, but consequences affect the lives of others in our lives as well if we sin, if we fall short of the glory of God, if we fall short of the mark God has placed before us and we go off in our own ways. This is why we have to understand that when we sin, we're not only sinning to hurt ourselves, we, we will eventually hurt other people. That's why we can't say, well, I just have private sins. No. No private sins. God knows them all. And in some way, what you do, how your heart is, is formed around those things that you do that are not right with God are going to eventually destroy somebody else. 
verses 13 and 14 says, Behold, the land of the Chaldeans. I don't know why, but when I first started reading the Bible, I thought this was the land of the Sioux people. Well, some of you got it. Behold, the land of the Chaldeans, this people which was not. Assyria founded it for wild beasts of the desert. They set it up, or they set up its towers. They raised up its palaces and brought it to ruin. Wail, you ships of Tarshish, for you... For your strength is laid waste. Isaiah writes as someone amazed by the fact that an obscure nation that began humbly, that is the Chaldeans of Babylon, the Babylonians were actually Chaldeans. And they were founded actually by the Assyrians. In other words, the modern nation that would eventually become the great nation that would destroy and bring judgment to certain nations. Should be the ones to bring Tyre to ruin. That is what Isaiah is, is amazed at. But this people, which was not, is going to do this destruction. At the time that Isaiah is writing this, Babylon is not the major power. It would become that. Then in verses 15 and 16 it says, Now it shall come to pass in that day. Tyre will be forgotten 70 years according to the days of one king. Very interesting prophecy. At the end of 70 years it will happen to Tyre as in the song of the harlot. Take a harp. Go about the city. You forgotten harlot. Make sweet melody. Sing many songs that you may be remembered. First of all, it is an amazing thing that God's judgments are so precise that, that He even decrees the exact number of years that Tyre will be forgotten. Seventy years, He says. Tyre would go into decline after Nebuchadnezzar would take control of the mainland. That, that of course, is the king of Babylon. Interestingly enough, and again, this is speaking of, the, of, of a nearer fulfillment. Interestingly enough, the Babylonian Empire's strength lasted 70 years. That was the number, by the way, that was the number of years in which Israel would remain in captivity. In a prophecy in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10 and following, it says, For thus saith the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon... I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. Now, God, of course, is speaking to His people. And He says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon Me and go and pray to Me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek Me and find Me when you search for Me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. Folks, there are two things happening in this particular passage, by the way, as it relates to Israel. Two things, a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. He talks about the 70 years, fine. That's, that was accomplished. After seven years, what? They're brought back into the land. But from one place, right? 
And yet it tells us here that He will be found by them. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations. Now we begin to see a far fulfillment. What we've been dealing with the last couple of Sundays, Saturdays and Sundays, dealing with the nation of Israel. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. Where's that? Jerusalem. I took a little detour here just for a moment. I thought it was important to share that. You see how how God in in those seven years had taken Israel through captivity, but then He released them. But then there was that far fulfillment also mentioned. So while Israel was in captivity, Tyre was in a state of degradation and collapse. But after the death of Nebuchadnezzar, and a few years later when Babylon was captured by the Medes and the Persians, Tyre would be rebuilt. It wasn't going to be rebuilt like like it had been before, but it was going to be rebuilt. Though it would never again be the commercial city that it had been. So there we see a fulfillment of a near prophecy there. Yet it mentions here this harlot. It mentions a song of a harlot in all. And that's, you know, of course, it, it brings to mind, you know, the, the prostituting of oneself for, for gain. And that's a sad picture given here of this city. But, but it's an interesting comparison because it can also be made, this comparison, I should say, can also be made between Tyre and Babylon based on the statement in verses here, in verses 15 through 17, both Babylon and, and Tyre are compared to prostitutes, both of them. As a matter of fact, let me read verse 17 so we can get caught up here. Yeah, verse 17 says, And it shall be at the end of 70 years that the Lord will visit Tyre she will return to her hire and commit fornication with all the kingdoms of the world on the face of the earth. It's not going to be a good rebuilding, in other words. And so as the harlot once again. But you know, you would have to read all of Revelation 17 and 18 for a parallel, and I encourage you, if you can tonight, read uh, Revelation 17 and 18. Let me just read you a portion. And of course, this is pointing again to a far fulfillment, but nonetheless, it says in Revelation 17, Verse 1, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. You remember what one of the trades was in Tyre was the making of purple. Isn't that interesting? And adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a, a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Interesting comparison. Two cities, great cities mentioned as 
I say Babylon is a city, it was a city, but it was also a nation. Mentioned as harlots or prostitutes. As we look at the last verse of our text now, we'll come to the end of chapter 23. Now it is evident that it carries us beyond the present age. Now we've come to the far fulfillment of chapter 23. Uh, it carries us beyond the present age to the establishment of the messianic kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 18 of Isaiah 23, it says, Her gain and her pay will be set apart for the Lord. It will not be treasured nor laid up, for her gain will be for those who dwell before the Lord to eat sufficiently and for fine clothing. In that day a day that is yet to come, of course. But in that day, a new city will be raised up on the ruins of Tyre. It will be subject to Christ Jesus, the one who has the right to reign during the Messianic kingdom reign of, of the Messiah. It will bring her glory, the glory of Tyre, and the honor of Tyre to his feet. You can consider this verse in Psalm 42. It's verses 11 through 13. But verse 12 is the one you want to look at. But let's read verses 11 through 13 of Psalm 45. I said 42? That's 45. <laughs> Sorry. Psalm 45, 11 says, So the king will greatly desire your beauty because... He is your Lord. Worship Him. By the way, that is speaking of the wife of the Lord God. The wife. Often in the Old Testament does God speak of His wife, Israel. Now, verse 12 says, And the daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. The rich among the people will seek your favor. The royal daughter is all glorious within the palace. Her clothing is woven with gold. The last picture that we get in this particular prophecy and then combine it with Psalm 45 verses 11 through 13 is that Israel will once more be recognized as the wife of the Lord God. Psalm 45. The treasure... Her treasure will be a holy offering to the Lord. That's so much like our own treasure that we bring. When we come to Christ, we, we, we bring everything that we are and everything we have. We, we don't leave anything in a, in a knapsack or in a closet you know, for us to go back to to have. We, we, we surrender all to Jesus. As the old song used to say, uh, all to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. Everything that we have. Whatever we thought was precious in this life, we surrender it to God and we come to realize that it wasn't precious at all. What is precious is what He gives us. 
What is precious is the love that He has given to us through Jesus Christ. What is precious is the, is the knowledge of, 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 his, uh, of His giving all in His Son that we might have all for an eternity. Our treasures are, are, are not to be kept here where moth and rust can destroy, where thieves can, can break in and steal. Our treasure is in heaven. Our treasure is to be in heaven where none of those things can affect it. Or our treasure is, that's where our heart is also. Tyre's heart was, was, was in its success. Tyre's heart was in its, was in its uh, uh, accomplishments, was in its riches, was in its bottom line, as it were. But all to Jesus, I surrender. All to Him, I freely give. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Aren't you thankful that God in, in receiving what we have given to Him, which He doesn't need anyway, <laughs> has, given, has given to us much more than we could ever imagine. What we have now, what we are good or to be good stewards of, what we are to manage in this life, it, it lent to us as, as the Scriptures would, would, would teach us. What we have here, we can't take it with us. So, so let's use it for His glory and honor. I have nothing in this life to boast in but, but in the cross of Jesus Christ. That, that's my boast. God has, has graciously allowed us to have what we need in this life through Jesus Christ. He's given us over and above what we could ever imagine. But none of it is ours. It's all His. Let's be wise in our living. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord.